when you grow up in church, uh, sometimes you hear the same stories over and over again. And um, so as I got older, I started to think there's, you know, maybe there's other things I hadn't heard in there. And of course there is. And it was amazing to me that in this hard part of scripture, there were parts that we could immediately apply, uh, learning about God's love, learning about how Jesus is king of our lives, um, learning about how to worship him and prayer. That's all in Revelation. And um, reading the book of Revelation, focusing on those simple truths, just kind of made me want to burst out and share that with so many people who don't read Revelation. I wanted to say, listen, there's so many simple truths in there. So from that kind of came the idea for read the hard parts, because that's true, not just with Revelation, but with other hard parts of scripture as well. Hi there, friends, and welcome to episode 57 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matt Bruff. I'm a pastor and an author and your host. And there is no big long intro today or anything like that. We're just going to jump straight into the content for today's episode. So I hope you really enjoy this one. Today on the podcast, I have uh, Rachel Schmoyer. It's uh, great to have Rachel on today. And uh, yeah, I'm just thrilled that you're here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Rachel uh, reached out to me and just said, hey, I'd like, I'd love to come on your podcast and uh, talk a little bit about the Bible. So we're going to talk about the Bible today, which is great. And we are going to pick, uh, well, we have already picked a particular passage to talk about. Um, and the reason that we're doing that is that uh, Rachel has a really great blog website called Read the Hard Parts. Um, which is all about focusing on difficult parts of scripture and why we shouldn't avoid them, um, and then providing help for trying to gain some understanding or what might we glean from some of the more difficult parts of scripture. So we are going to look at a particularly difficult part of scripture. It's <laughs> quite a difficult part of scripture um, today, as most of the podcast. But uh, I'd love to just hear from you a little bit, Rachel, about why you wanted to start that blog and, uh, and why you think it's important to focus on some of the harder parts of the Bible. Sure. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in a Christian home, so Bible reading has been a part of my life as long as I can remember. And I think my parents did a great job instilling me the need to read the whole thing. And I think that's been really, uh, really important in my faith, too. Um, I like to research. I like to look and see what's what's in there. And um, uh, maybe some of your listeners can identify with when you grow up in church, uh, sometimes you hear the same stories over and over again. And um, so as I got older, I started to think there's, you know, maybe there's other things I hadn't heard in there. And of course there is. Um, and in Bible college, I really enjoyed studying the Bible. I went to Cairn University is what it's called today. It used to be called Philadelphia Biblical University. And I really enjoyed my Bible classes there and being able to dig into those harder parts of scripture. And I remember in particular studying the book of Revelation. And I really enjoyed digging into that hard part of scripture because, um, as you know, probably from your congregation that there's, you know, just different Christian people you meet. There are a lot of people that avoid Revelation because it's hard. to It is. It's hard to understand. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to figure out, you know, because Christian experts are divided on, on what does it actually mean? Yeah. So, so you know, sure. I think some people don't 
don't read it because they think, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to be part of that conflict. So I'm just going to avoid it. Hmm. Um, but um, I enjoyed that class in, in college, in Revelation. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was a part of Bible Study Fellowship, which is an interdenominational and worldwide Bible study ministry. And we were going to study the book of Revelation. And I was so excited because I thought, oh, I love reading Revelation in Bible college. I'm so glad we're going to do it again. I got to break out my end times studies and, you know, see what's so because we're going to go through it again. But what struck me this time when we went through Revelation and Bible study fellowship was that we focused on simple truths that we could apply to today's life. And it was amazing to me that in this hard part of scripture, there were parts that we could immediately apply, uh, learning about God's love, learning about how Jesus is king of our lives, um, learning about how to worship him and prayer. That's all in Revelation. And um, reading the book of Revelation, focusing on those simple truths, just kind of made me want to burst out and share that with so many people who don't read Revelation. I wanted to say, listen, there's so many simple truths in there. So from that kind of came the idea for read the hard parts, because that's true, not just with Revelation, but with other hard parts of scripture as well. Right. Yeah, that's, that's really great. People are going to think now, oh, for sure, they're going to, they're going to talk about a passage from Revelation, but we're not going to do that. Uh, (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry. (laughs) Uh, They can, they can probably go on. I'm sure you've got things on your website about Revelation as well. I do. I have a little bit there at uh, readthehardparts.com. Um, I, I'm also working on writing a devotional book through there. So I think there'll yep. be more in the future when that gets published. Um, but yeah, definitely check out readthehardparts.com if that interests you and kind of mm-hmm. see. I did something recently on Proverbs 31 mm-hmm. that I think will be different, a different view of that passage than you probably have heard before. Ah, uh, there you go. So that's the the teaser. People can go and find yes. that. But we're actually going to talk about the other last book of the Bible mm-hmm. uh, today. So the last <laughs> book of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Uh, so a passage from Malachi is. Uh, it was your choice. So we're gonna we're gonna blame you <laughs> for, <laughs> for what's about to happen. Um, and I've never really done this before either. Um, kind of use this podcast as a forum to just basically kind of do a Bible study together. Um, and so look at a particular passage and we have not rehearsed this. So Rachel and nope. I do not know what each other think about this passage. No, I'm excited. Um, so we'll see uh, <laughs> if we even agree or if, uh, <laughs> or, or what comes out of it. So um, can you just, why don't you, why don't you tell our listeners what, uh, what passage we we're going to look at for most of our time? Sure. Um, we're going to look at Malachi chapter one and it's verse one through five. So it's the opening of this last book. Do you want me to go ahead and just read it? Yeah, sure. What it's version are you reading from? Just so um, I'm going to be reading from the new American standard. Okay. Version. So, so Malachi one verses one through five. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, 
We have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts. They may build, but I will tear down. And men will call them the wicked territory and the people towards whom the Lord is indignant forever. Your eyes will see this and you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. Okay, great. Yeah, so uh, that, that seems easy. Why did we pick that one? <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah, no problem here. Uh, yes, the, the, but that difficult part in verse 2 and yeah. verse 3, I ha- the Lord says, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. And we think God is love. Right. And yet here he's saying he hates Esau. Yeah, like, and what, like, what's going on there? That, like, that's, that's actually really troubling. It is. You know? It is. Yeah, it is. And yeah, it's difficult. So that's why we picked it. But I yeah. think we need to understand maybe the context sure. of the verse before we kind of figure out what, you know, what it actually means. Um, so I'll just share what I learned about Malachi, and sure. then you can jump in and add whatever you'd like. But the book of Malachi, like you said, is the last book in the Old Testament. And it was probably written um, in the maybe the 400s BC, maybe the late 500s or early 500s BC. So at this point, the nation of Israel had already been exiled to Babylon, and the Lord had brought them back to the land. And they have already rebuilt the temple and they have rebuilt the city wall. But Israel's not as great as it used to be. So even though they've started to rebuild, um, Israel's just not, um, they're just not worshiping the way they should. Um, The priests aren't doing their job wholeheartedly. And so we still, again, even after going through exile, we still see the half-heartedness of Israel. Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, that's, that's pretty much the historical context for sure. And I think like if people go on and, uh, and read like even just the rest of the rest of Malachi one, it it really gets into the, I mean, the title I have in mind is the the corruption of the priesthood. So Mm things are not, uh, are not great, um, religiously, spiritually, um, but also just like probably not economically, um, Mm. and just not the same as, as people might've hoped it would be. So it's kind of like, um, you know, the Israelites have gone into, have been in exile. There's many of them that won't actually really remember what it was like before, but they will have had stories passed down. And also it might even be a little bit of like thinking about the way life once was with rose colored glasses. Mm-hmm. Like we, we do that, right. Where, yes. you know, the uh, one generation says to the next generation, you know, how much better it was. Yes. Or, the good old days. Yeah. There's the the good old days. And so it might not have actually been that good before going into exile. <laughs> um, but now it's sort of the temple isn't as grand and the, um, and it's just sort of looking back and thinking, oh, this is this is actually hard work. This is not really what we had hoped. And and yes. maybe the question of, well, where is God, right? Right. Um, and in fact, like in the literary sense for the context of Malachi, I think mm-hmm. brings that out because it has a disputation um, structure. 
So, um, and we see that that's throughout the whole book of Malachi. And we see that bits and pieces in other minor prophets, but um, like God says one thing and the people dispute it and say, Oh, really? Is that really true? Right. And um, so even in that um, attitude, we can see that while this isn't as good as we thought it was going to be. Right. And that's right in verse two. So Mm -hmm. Um, the New Living Translation, which I don't always recommend, but it actually it, it actually gets at this really well. So, like that translation is uh, of verse two: "I have always I have always loved you," says mm. the Lord. But you retort, "Really? Mm. How have you loved us?" I love and that. What a great translation! I think that gets at it really well. Yes. Um, at what at what's really going on there? And I like the other thing I like about the way they've translated that is they show the continuing love. Can you yeah. say that again? I forget what. Yeah, what it says, you... I have always loved you. I've always loved you. Because in the New American Standard, it says, how have you loved us? Past yeah. tense. But in all the commentators that I had looked in this passage, emphasized that this was a continual thing, that God's love is continual. Right, right. So God is saying, I've always loved you. And then, and then it says, but you retort, really? Yeah. I, mean, I like the really in there. Really? Yes, that's how, great. How have you loved us um, is what they ask. And that, that shows up. The really is not actually there in the, in the Hebrew, right? right. <laughs> that's not actually that's there. Correct. But it gives you the attitude <laughs> um, of what's going on there. And, and the word retort isn't there. It's just the, it's just the same mm. as, as saying, but um, but it shows you kind of this, uh, like you call it a disputation structure, mm-hmm. right? Like they're disputing mm-hmm. um, yes. what, what God is saying. Um, and so that, I think that does give us some of the, the context, like the historical context, but also kind of the literary frame that's given in Malachi, which is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of the attitude of the people toward God. It's sort of like, well, God is saying, I love you. You're already always assured of my love. It's always been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people are looking at their lives and saying, I don't really see that mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. right? And I think the the beautiful part of this is God answers. Because I think we go through times of that in our lives where we think, yeah, yeah. God, where are you? Yeah. I thought you were like this. And we need to listen to God's answer in those times, just yeah. like Malachi does. He brings those questions to the Lord, you know, or the, from the people, the people's question to the Lord and the Lord answers. And I think that's encouraging to us when we go through times of doubt of God's love is take them to God. He's tough. He can take it. You know, right. right. Just- also to know that like throughout history, people have been asking this question. Like we, yes. we, not, we always ask this kind of question. Um, yes. We might hear about God's love and our, and our lives are actually really lousy at the time that we're hearing right. about that. And we kind of don't want to hear it. And we just sort of say, well, no. Really? Right. Like, I don't right. think so. Um, but they go to God, I, to their credit, they're, they're kind of, or at least Malachi is, is going to God and saying, uh, you know, I, how? Like, prove, prove it to me is right. kind of that. And then, like you said, God answers. But, I, right. but then we get the problem, right? Like, right. And the answer is the, <laughs> the problem. problem right? God's answer. <laughs> <laughs> the answer was the problem. Yeah, it's the problem part, the hard part. Or the tricky text. I think that was one of the things you said to me earlier, that this yes. is a tricky text. I tricky like that text, phrase. Yes. But God's answer is, yes, yet I have loved Jacob and I have hated Esau. And that's one of God's proofs of his love to Israel. That's tough. Which he is weird. Jacob. Like, how does that even work? Like, what, what's your take on this? Well, this this is what I, I 
looked at multiple commentaries, uh, mostly the Moody Bible commentary. Um, I also looked at, um, the name of the other one escapes me when I, when I, uh, when I remember it, I'll bring it up, but the comment, Oh, I know what it was. The NIV application commentary, which is an excellent commentary series. Um, because they go through both the observations of the passage and the interpretation and the application of the passage, um, in depthly all three of those parts. But anyway, all that to say those two commentators, they noted that the Hebrew words there for love and hate are not emotion words in the Hebrew, mm-hmm. that those two words are actually talking about you're either in a covenant relationship with me or you're not, you're chosen or you're not. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we read love and hate in English and we think of emotion, but God is talking about, look, I chose Jacob and I didn't choose Esau, which maybe doesn't make it less of a hard part, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but at least that takes care of the emotion part of it because God does love those he made. He he had made all of us and he loves us with that emotional love. But this part is talking about his chosen people. Is that what you found? Uh, Yeah, I did. I did find that as well. One of the commentaries that I, well, I only looked at one. Uh, so mm-hmm. I guess it is the only commentary on that, uh, <laughs> which was Andrew Hill's commentary, Tyndale Old Testament commentaries. Um, I often look for something uh, like something as recent as I can find. Mm-hmm. It's quite hard to find a recent commentary on Malachi. <laughs> um, and you might like that NIV application commentary. Just yeah, for that's a yeah, good series. I, I might check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did look at that one, and and he kind of concluded a similar kind of thing. I don't think he okay. said it in quite the same way you said it, but but pretty much, mm. um, yeah. That basically the word love has a has covenant implications. Okay. Um, in describing the relationship between the Lord and the Hebrew people. So that brings us back to another context we need for this is Genesis 25. Yeah, yeah. Where we have... Like who were Jacob and Esau? Like, we met yes. people listening going, okay, well, I don't even know. Like, I get that this is a problem that God hates somebody. Right. But, right. but who are these people? Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And Jacob and Esau are the twin sons of Isaac and Rebecca. And that's in Genesis 25, where you can find that. And when Rebecca was pregnant with... Jacob and Esau. So they don't even know, no ultrasounds. They don't know who this is. God tells them you have twins in your womb and I'm one of them is my chosen people and one is not. And the older will serve the younger. So even before they were born. So this choice, I think that's good for us to hear because I do, I do believe in, um, I am a reformed, um, theologically. So I do believe that God chooses those who he saves. Um, but I love that it's even when they're in the womb so that it's not based on anything we do. And I think that really brings that point home. God doesn't choose us based on our good works. He's choosing us according to his good plan for his glory. And we see that in Jacob and Esau's life. Which is, which is in itself kind of tricky. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So we still are going down the hard parts. (laughs) I don't know if it's necessarily gotten easier um no. some of it as well just uh, if you're reading kind of the the context you'll end up um seeing reference to edom as well mm, yes so in uh it's, it, it continues on you know i rejected his brother esau and devastated his hill country uh, i'm mm-hmm. reading from 
New Living translation still. Mm-hmm. Uh, I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. Esau's descendants in Edom may say, we've been shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. Esau's descendants in Edom. So mm-hmm. Edom is uh, is basically Esau, right? Like the, yes. that's kind of the, the parallel there in the same way that when we're talking about Jacob, Jacob is Israel. So the descendants of Jacob become the nation of Israel. The descendants of Esau become the nation of Edom. Right. Um, and that's quite important as well, I think, because when you trace um, sort of the relationship between God's people and in particular the nation of Edom, they continue to be um, problematic for one another. Yes. Um, so even when the, the people are being led out of uh, uh, Egypt by Moses and they're going to and they're and they're finally coming out of the wilderness and they're going to go into the promised land, it's Edom that is the problem. Uh, mm-hmm. For them to actually get into the promised land, they 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 cannot go get past Edom. Edom's gonna is stubborn and is gonna fight them basically, um, and they have to go around the long way. Um, so right. there's this animosity that continues to exist between uh, mm-hmm. Israel and Edom. That there's I, I find there's kind of two ways of looking at that. You can sort of trace that back to the twins in the womb and say that was the originating point, or you can say well. That, that that reality shapes the way the story is told as well. So, yes. um, so the story may have been told in a certain way because that animosity existed between those two nations. That of, makes sense in a literary way. We need that part of the information for the right for the story. Um, I th- I think it's important to remember um, when we when we talk about. God hating Esau and he's going to destroy him. Like you said, there's, there's been thousands, well, at least a thousand years to this point, more than that of, um, of Edom causing problems. So I think we need to remember God's patience when we talk about his coming to destruction. So sometimes we just read this one verse and think, Oh my gosh, God just like destroy them like that. And we think of it like a cartoon, like strike with lightning, but it's not. God has been talking about this for over a thousand years that, um, you know, I'm going to take care of punishing your enemies, Israel, you know, be patient. I'm being patient with them to see if they'll come in repentance to me. So, so again, there's another, you know, simple truth in the hard part that God is patient, you know, even when he um, needs to give consequences. Mm-hmm. I sometimes think like when it comes to God's judgment, um, which may be related to this or not, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but I think people just get uncomfortable with God's judgment mm-hmm. in general. And I, I always try to think of, well, what are the real life circumstances where I would actually hope that God is going to mm-hmm. do something about it? Um, yeah. so if somebody hurts my daughter, right. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna judge that <laughs> and, yes. I'm, and I'm probably gonna take action. And I hope God would also behave in, in similar ways. I know God is loving and forgiving, but I think he also holds, holds, uh, people to account. Right. Yes. Um, so. I, and that's would, good. And yeah. That's like, good. <laughs> like I would want it to be like, if we think of say a thousand years of Edom potentially doing quite terrible things to people, mm-hmm. um, we only need to, we don't even need to go back that far in our recent history. If we say, look at the Holocaust and say, mm-hmm. well, should, should God just say, well, I just love Hitler. It's fine. Right. 
or right. or should there be consequence and should that be stopped and should we resist should you know should we say well god actually is not on that side we're now that becomes more complicated because we're looking back with hindsight right yes. hindsight is 2020 and we can look at and call it evil and that might be more complicated today where there might be disagreement about exactly what is evil what's against god and for god um, so I, I think I think it's complicated, but I think it also might ha- be helpful in understanding the context of does God hate someone? Well, no, but I think I think those that contrast of love and hate is trying to say you know there are people that are against that have set themselves up against mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. Um, and there are consequences to doing that. It's not just oh it's fine. That's exactly. not the way God's love works. God's love is not just oh that's okay. Just do whatever you want. Right. That's, that's not God's love. That's right. not really loving. Like if I do no. my children, that's not really loving. That's not really exactly guide them or anything like it's that. His, it's God's justice. We need to embrace that in yeah. God as much as his love. Yeah. And, and I, the other, the other way I think about that too, is I'm really glad that God is the one in that position. Yes. And I'm not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so very true. If anyone Very is going to true. be in the position to speak those words, I want it to be the uh, the God who is love. Right. You know. Okay, so I need to know, where do you fall on this reformed question then? Ah, on, okay. this, on this choosing Jacob and not choosing Esau. And because, um, you know, this passage is mentioned in Romans 9 then later. Um, oh, yeah. So which I got to look into a little bit this morning. So, but I wanted to know where you where cuz I don't know like you said at the beginning of the podcast, we don't know where we are doctrinally. <laughs> we didn't no. talk about that ahead of time. <laughs> uh yeah, I I th- I would say that I have a little bit of trouble with um election or chosenness for salvation. Okay. Um but I do think we are chosen. I, I'm trying to remember what passage it is where it talks about being chosen for good works, for the good works of him. I uh, can't remember. Okay. Um, so getting to like the idea of the nation of Israel is also, there's also passages that talk about the nation of Israel being chosen as a light to the nations, mm-hmm. which to me kind of seems to say um, God is not just choosing Israel for the sake of saying, and you're the only saved people. Mm. And everyone else forget it. Well, then why be a light to the nations? Like why draw others in? Yes. Um, so I, I, I think that's where I have some difficulty doctrinally with, um, with kind of the classic formation of, of election of the doctrinal election, like the the classic of like you know some some are predestined to um, spend eternity with God, and others are predestined to not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have trouble with that because I think. Uh, I think there are passages that seem to talk about as being lights to others and to draw uh, and that the Holy Spirit will draw others to, uh, to God through other people and through the example of, of someone else's witness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's not really a doctrinal or theological answer in a sense. It's no, that's OK. Kind of <laughs> no, that was good. Um, yeah, that was good. So I so I think that is that is sort of what troubles me about this text. Yes. That even if it is about chosenness and that choosing mm-hmm. from the womb right i have trouble with god choosing mm. esau for uh, almost as an opponent to himself is mm. is almost how it's set up that's so, hard that is a hard part that's a hard part of the doctrine of election yeah. 
That is the hard part for sure. I don't know that I have a good a good answer for that other than Romans 9. Well, maybe this is a good time to go to Romans 9 if that's sure. okay. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, Paul anticipates that people are going to have a problem with that part of election. And I think, um, so in Romans 9, um, Paul is talking about um, salvation because so far in the book of Romans, he's, uh, the first couple chapters of Romans, he talks about how we are sinners, and so we are stuck in our sin. And then he talks about our our righteousness comes not from our works, but from Jesus Christ um, and his his righteousness given to us when we have faith in him. Mm-hmm. And um, so in Romans 9, let me see. I'm trying to find where a good place to start reading would be. I think Romans 9, verse 9 um, Paul says, this is the word of the of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebecca also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we send, say then? Is there no injustice with God? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. And um, then I'll just jump down to, to verse 19 and 20, um, which is kind of God's answer, I guess, to this. Well, that doesn't sound fair to... to choose one and not the other. It says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for the who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? So I know that doesn't make it easier. Um, And I know some, and I know, I do know that some people, um, some of those, some who don't hold to the doctrine of election don't say this passage is not about salvation. It's about uh, other things. So, I mean, I know that's not a simple answer. Um, but I think it's neat that um, Paul is bringing up this Malachi 1 passage again in verse 13, talking about Jacob, I loved Esau, I've had it, hated in this context of, of election. Right. I think, I think as well, like um, what Paul, my sense of what Paul's argument is, is that the baseline, and this might be also really hard to hear, Mm-hmm. The baseline is actually not you all just start off in this wonderful grace relationship with God. That yeah. might be true originally, originally, but where actually the baseline is things are not good. Yes. And so when we get up the where he quotes, uh, I don't know where it's from, but when he says, Moses says, yes. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Mm-hmm. It's actually, he's kind of saying it's, it's not actually about, Esau, it's actually right. about Jacob. <laughs> um, so the baseline would be everyone is in Esau's state. It's just that God has decided to be compassionate and merciful towards Jacob. Yes. And uh, and isn't that great? And let's celebrate the goodness that God has done and the mystery of what that is. And who are we really in the end to question God is where he sort of ends right. up going, right? Right. Um, but it reminds me a little bit of like how... Um, 
like we can pick on these passages and sort of get um, hung up about, well, does God really hate people or does God, um, is God, I, I don't think God is actually like this and that doesn't seem fair. Mm-hmm. But there's a parable of Jesus that kind of works in in sort of the opposite direction. Uh, the parable of the the workers who um, there's workers that have been working all day, and then some workers who come in at the eleventh hour, um, which yes. is I think where we get that term from. Actually, um, the, some workers come in at the end of the day, and then the the uh, owner comes and pays all the workers the same amount. And the workers who've been working all day cry out, "Hey, that's not fair." That's not right. And the owner says, well, I can pay people whatever I want. I'm paying everybody a day's wage. Um, and what is it to you? You got your fair wages for what you work you did for the day. I'm not underpaying you. Um, and I'm choosing to be gracious and compassionate and loving and pouring out as more than they really deserve on those who've come late. Um, so we're quick to like this one is maybe more obvious where we will quickly cry out. It's not fair because it seems like God is doing something really negative. Um, But we will also cry out. It's not fair when someone else seems to be getting what we think only we deserve. Right. Um, Right. Anyway, it just made me think of that, that. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great passage to connect this to. And really the reality is none of us deserve anything. Right. Yeah. We, (laughs) We all just deserve hell. And God in his compassion and mercy has chosen us. So, I mean, that's kind of humbling because sometimes like in that worker thing, we think, well, we deserve it, but we don't really deserve anything. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Now, some people are going to take ex- exception with what you just said. Yeah, I know. But... Do we really deserve hell, I guess, is a is kind right. of a big question. That's true. Another hard, another hard part, but... You can, you can talk about us, you know, hard parts with us, you know, I'm on, um, both of us are on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So we'd love to hear from you all. (laughs) Um, And I think like when people object to that, like, Mm -hmm. um, like where I, where I might say like our, our baseline, like in, in, in your words, you're saying, okay, we deserve hell. Mm -hmm. Um, like I automatically have like a negative response to that. Mm. right like I don't want to hear that mm-hmm. um, but I think where where I go with that uh, line of thinking because I think in the end I agree with you mm. um, but how I get my head around that to try okay. to make some sense of that is to actually really take a hard look at the world in which we live and mm. and then try to realize that the good that we see in the world is only there by the grace of God. It actually helps me with understanding like the problem of evil. So one way at it would be to look at the world and say, Oh, why is there so much evil in the world? Why does God allow that? Another way is to say, well, the only reason there's actually any good in the world is because God has infused that into the world. And, and we're in such a broken uh, and fallen mess. Um, Yes. God is, is redeeming that all the time. Um, and so that, like, the, those good things we see are signs of that redemption, are signs of the kingdom of God in breaking into the world. Otherwise, like, it would all be bad. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so, I think this is kind of a tangent, but um, I like to read a lot of history, too. And I recently read a book called Heavens on Earth, and it's a history of utopian societies from 1680 to 1880 in America. Wow. So. It was interesting. It was really interesting. (laughs) And it was interesting because it was written in the 50s by a British man. 
And I thought to myself when I picked up the book, why in the world is a British man interested in the 50s, interested in this topic? And then I thought about, well, it's the rise of communism around the world Mm -hmm. that's making him take a look back into these communist societies. And I think that um, how this relates is that um, when we think that people are good and we think that people are good on their own and we depend on that. And then we decide, well, all we need is the right structure. And then all that goodness can come out and all these utopian societies failed. And in part because of sin, I mean, and sin, you know, there are other issues too, but you see people's sin and how that uh, destroys it. So that's how it relates. (laughs) It's funny. I was, uh, again, a tangents. Okay. Um, Uh I was, we were picking music uh, yesterday, my uh, music director and I, and um, there was this one hymn, I can't remember what it was, but the language in the hymn, I think in one of the the second or the third verse, um, was basically saying, you know, if we all just get together and put our minds to it, mm. uh, we can make the world a better place, wow. <laughs> essentially what it was saying. And, you know, I think the first verse was really good. Like it was uh-huh. about God and praising God. And I this basically said like, and it was a fantastic first verse. Actually, I really wanted to do the song. But in the end, I just said, you know, I don't think we can sing this. Mm, good. You know, I don't think we can sing it. Because really, is that what we really, like, I don't think we really believe that. Like, right. if, like, yes, we should all get together and do our best and try to make the world a better place. Yes. But we can't affirm, affirmatively pr- like sing praise to God with that. Right. Um, That's right. Because we actually believe that we're, that, that we're going to do that. And probably in the process, we're going to end up harming some people as well. And that's because we're broken people and we're sinful and we're going to, mm-hmm. we, we need to go into that with humility and confession, mm-hmm. not, Hey, it, we're so good. And if we worked really hard and we work together, we're going to do a great job. We should still do that. We should still do those things, but we need to, come at it from a way more humble place and a place of, of, uh, of confessing that we've, we've tried this before and we've really messed up. Right. Um, right. Cause I think, like you said, it's the Holy spirit and the Holy spirit's power. That's going to anything we do that ends up with good results is because of the Holy spirit in us. Yeah. And his power, not, it's not our own efforts that will, uh, alone that's going to bring any good fruit from that. Yeah. Okay. We're on the same page there. Okay, good. Love it. Um, <laughs> well, we both yeah. love Jesus. That's good. Yeah, that, that, that <laughs> that's good. Uh, let's uh, can we go? Let's go back to the passage. Yes. I think um, no, I don't have it in front of me. Okay, uh, I think one of the tricky things. Um, so the idea, like we've kind of talked about the idea of I've I've loved Jacob, but I've hated Esau. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I was having trouble with, maybe you can help me understand this, is that, how, like, why is this, like, why does God even respond this way? <laughs> like, yeah. um, why is this helpful for the people who are first hearing it? And then maybe is it helpful for us? Like, we can deal with, oh, yes, this is tricky. And how do we get our heads around it? I think yes. maybe we've given some pointers in that. I don't know if we've done a great job, but um, we've maybe helped people kind of grapple with that a bit. But then you know, God is trying to assure them of his love. I've loved you. And they say, really, how have you loved us? And God's response is, um, 
talking about loving Jacob and hating Esau? Like, is, why is that helpful? Why doesn't God just find another way of, of talking about this? I think this is the Lord's way of saying, I have a plan for you. I have a plan, a loving plan for you. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because of verse four and five, well, three, four and five, where he's saying, well, you know, Edom's trying to rebuild their things and I'm not going to let them. I'm not going to let them. That's not my plan. I have a plan for you because I love you. And I know it looks discouraging right now because of the state of your nation. But trust me, in the past, I've had a plan for you and I have worked that plan and I'm still going to do that in the future. Hmm. So I think, I think to me, that's one of the, the simple truths. And then for us, like you were saying earlier that, you know, we go through times like that, like, Lord, I do not get this and I don't feel loving. We can, God can say, look, look back in your past and how I have worked in your life. And I have a plan for you. And we see that, um, you know, I, the whole verse escapes me, but the, um, you know, he who began a good work in you will carry it into completion into the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah. And so I think when we, we look back at God's good plan in our lives and we continue to look forward in it, I think that gives us encouragement and that makes us, you know, feel God's love, not just his chosenness of us, but his emotional love as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I was, I was wondering as you were talking, mm-hmm. um, if like, I, I really honestly don't know if this Aaron, I don't know if there's any way to find out, but is there a possibility that, the people are looking at Edom, but also maybe at other neighboring nations mm. with a kind of envy or a kind of, well, <laughs> oh, I wish, like things have not gone for well for us, but look at Edom, like they've rebuilt way better than we have or, right. um, or whatever might be going on if they're looking at other nations. And then maybe God is saying, like, it's almost not, um, like we read it as God is saying, they're going to rebuild and I am going to tear down. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it almost like God saying like their rebuildings though, like they're building that, that actually doesn't matter. Like mm. God is telling them that God, that he has the power to tear, tear down anything that's built, whether it's Edom's or Israel's like, right. Like if they're looking with envy at somebody else, like, and maybe that's something that we can take as well. Like we would not even on a, like not on national levels necessarily, that might be kind of a big grandiose thing, but even just on personal levels, looking at someone else's life and kind of coveting or envying what you're seeing there. And, you know, this being a reminder that maybe it's not God being the agent of, of that falling apart, but just the reality that all of those things are temporary like that none of that really matters. And in Edom's case, all of this rebuilding there, the center of that rebuilding is not on God. Mm. And so it really doesn't matter. Right. I Um, love that. That's great. You know, and then maybe that fits with the, with where the rest of Malachi goes because it it then slips to kind of the heart of the spirituality of the people of Israel. Right. Like, yes. um, Then it becomes about Mm. this is what's going on in the priesthood. And it's not a good thing. And, and right. you're not actually putting God first. Right. They're going through the motions. Yeah. So maybe it's kind of like, yeah. stop looking at, stop, stop looking at Edom. I'm going to bring it up right. because I know you're thinking about it. Um, right. Stop looking over there and right. look inside and look at what, look at what you're doing. Who are you focused on? 
I love that. That's great. Mm. That's a great application for this, I think. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me, it reminds me when you were talking too about um, when they had just, when Moses and the people had just left Egypt and then things got hard. They're like, oh my gosh, I wish I was back in Egypt. They had it so good. We had it so good there. Same kind of thing. They're looking at the temporal things in Egypt, which, you know, the food in particular. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than being off the Lord and opportunity to worship him in the wilderness. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just want to point out for uh, anyone who might still be listening. um, (laughs) There's a lot of, um, a lot of theology and biblical references. (laughs) But uh, for people who might be, uh, might be listening, um, I, what we just did here, like, what, or what we're in the process of doing, just in a lot of ways, kind of brainstorming ideas, and we've done a bit of research and brought brought that to the table. This is like I, I'm a I'm a preacher, and this for me is how sermons happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like in in all of what we've said, like there's there's no way we could take everything that we just said and 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 do one sermon with all of that. Um, but like this last thing or the last couple of things, or you talking about, okay, maybe this is really related to the Exodus and them longing to go back to Egypt. And what are the people longing for? And what are we longing for today? Like, that'd be a really great sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just think that's kind of a neat thing for listeners. If they're not preachers right. who are listening to kind of see how you can, with a little bit of research and sometimes a conversation actually really, really helps. Yes. Um, and uh, and just throwing ideas of what might this text be saying um, can sort of lead you in a direction. Um, right. Anyway. Yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, just I'm not a preacher. So, you right. know, I'm just a lay person who likes to read the Bible. So, um, and I think it's helpful too. I think you and I naturally do this, but I want to like explicitly say it. We start with observing the text. We start with saying, what does it say? Yep. And then we go to interpreting it. What does it mean for those first readers who read it right in the context? And then we can go to application. How are we going to apply it today to our lives? Right. Like, I think we, we can make mistakes if we are reading the hard parts and we jump right to the application and forget to do the first two steps. Um, so, but just an encouragement that you don't have to be a pastor to do this. You don't have to nope. go on to Bible yeah. college to do this. Anybody can do this. If you ever don't know what to do with Bible study, you know, just read it, make a list of what it says. And it might be really simple. Like, what does it say? When is this taking place? You know, where is this taking place? And then go, you know, find out what it means um, for the first readers. And then, um, you know, pray about it first before you do this, obviously, so the Holy Spirit can guide you in your study. But yeah, anybody can read hard, read hard parts of scripture. Oh yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And, uh, and to push through, I think is an important thing. Like, um, like I kind of just joked about people who might still be listening because I think actually even our process of having conversation about it, um, Mm -hmm. you can kind of get in the weeds a little bit and just sort of, okay, what are we, what, what are we hearing from the Holy spirit, even in our conversation around Mm -hmm. the text and that actually takes some time and sometimes some work and some struggle, particularly with harder parts, I find. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not always going to be the first the yes. first thing you think uh, from from the text. And that's actually probably true of the, what we think of as the easier parts as well. Um, right. And maybe sometimes those even require a little more work because we've got to get away from the familiar right. um, of what right. we think we know. Um, when in fact the text may be saying something actually different than what we think we know. Right. Well, that's why it's important to have conversation with that too. And I, you know, I think just 
asking your friend at church, hey, what'd you read in your Bible this week? Hmm. You know, can start conversations. And because um, both when you hear what other people are saying, you're going to remember God's word better. And when you get to verbalize it, it helps you remember what you read better. Right. Or after the uh, after you've heard the message and after the 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 church is over, ask your friend, like, do you really think that what the preacher said is right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Or, (laughs) or like, you know, my, my dad did this when we were younger. He said, um, on the way, on the drive home from church, we had to tell him one thing we learned. That's it. Just, we had to learn. It didn't have to be the main points. It didn't have to be anything, but it kind of taught us to listen to what's the one thing you heard. So, um, you can ask your friend that too. Hey, what was the one thing you got out of today's sermon? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's probably a more positive way. <laughs> it's probably more helpful. Uh, yeah, this has been really good. Um, yeah. So what is the one thing that you've learned here? <laughs> <laughs> what is the one thing I learned? Well, I think that... Um, being assured of God's love for us by looking back and seeing what he has done for us in the future lets us help helps us to trust in his plan for the future. So looking back in our past and God's plan and how that's worked gives us trust for in him for the future. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, I also want to remind people of something you said at the very, very beginning before we even got into the text um, was that you really think it's important to read the whole Bible. Yes. Um, and not just these pieces um, that we kind of hear, like familiar stories and things like that. Um, and I think that's important also, not just in a sense of, of read the hard parts, but it's an important in a sense of knowing the full uh, weight of, of what God is communicating in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think both of us are, are, are coming from a starting place of an understanding of that God is a loving God. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have the full witness of scripture. Um, so if we come to a text like this without, mm-hmm. without that, without that understanding and, and sort of this assurance that, okay, God is loving. So there is something jarring or feeling like it's out of place when we come to a text like this. And that's okay. That's okay to have that mm-hmm. sort of jarring feeling um, as a starting place. Um, but I think without reading the full depth and breadth of scripture, you don't necessarily get a, a full picture of who God is. Right. Um, and so it makes it actually quite difficult to, to look at more difficult texts um, right. without, without a full, a full reading, right. which, which can be hard to do. But. Right. And actually I have, if it's okay, if I make a plug of something on my website, um, just this week, I, I came out. I going to say, cause I, cause I saw it. Yes. It's great. Okay. It? Um, go, go, go find it. Okay. Yeah, so at readthehardparts.com, I have a free principle for you to download and it's called a Bible reading record chart. And it just is a one page thing. And it lists out all the chapters of the Bible and the purpose of it is so to encourage you to read the whole pot, the whole Bible, but to do it stress-free. Like there's not a date next to what, what day you have to read what part, but just when you read a chapter, you can mark it off and that way you can read the whole Bible at your own pace. And so I hope that's encouraging to you guys. So you can go get that free printable at readthehardparts.com. Yeah. And I really recommend it. Um, this is something that I did a number of years. This is, I've only read through the Bible in a year. Like some people do read the Bible in a year. I've only done that once. Um, and other times I've just basically kept track of, what am I reading? Um, 
and lately I haven't even really been keeping track, which is fine too. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, but if you do want to figure out, okay, I want to try to make sure that I am not missing something like I'm and, and a way to do that, I really do recommend this. Um, and I used a, a some, I just made my own cause I couldn't find one. Um, and yeah, uh, did exactly the right. same thing. I just printed mm-hmm. it. Like I made a big spreadsheet, basically yours is much nicer and prettier. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> I made a big spreadsheet and just printed it off and, uh, folded it and just tucked it into my Bible. And then whenever I would read something, I just basically check it off and then I could keep track. And that was how I made it through the entire scripture, you know, just, mm-hmm. uh, just every, every day. And then days that I missed, uh, didn't matter. I could just still just check off whatever I did. So I think that is a really great, uh, thing that you're providing. And I haven't seen a ton of the, I'm kind of surprised that yes. those don't exist all over the place, but I know that's actually everywhere. why I made one because I was looking for one yeah. for myself and I was like, Oh, there were not many choices and the ones that were out there were not great. So yeah, yeah. yeah so that's why I wanted it. Cause I wanted one myself. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for providing that. That's, sure. <laughs> uh, that's really uh, anything else that you wanted to let uh, listeners know about? Um, we've already kind of told people to go to your website. Um, mm-hmm. It is really good. And I would thanks. say to like the, the couple of reflections that I've read are not like, these are, these are long form podcasts that we do and we're going mm-hmm. really, really deep into these texts. Um, and I know that you do that deep work, but a lot of your reflections are actually, uh, pretty accessible and short. So if people are worried about like, oh, I'm going to end up going and reading pages and pages of, you know, in-depth commentary and study, and I don't have time for that. I don't think that's what you're really about. Exactly. I'm trying to find, pull out the simple truths. So, yeah. So I do a lot of study myself. You're doing all of that study and then bringing some of your conclusions to your website. So I think, I think that is a really great help for people. Yep. Yep. I think I just want to encourage your readers to read the hard parts. I mean, that's really what I want them to do. Don't be afraid of them. Just read them. It's okay. If you don't understand it, reach out and ask questions to people, but just keep reading, reading the Bible. This has been so much fun. Mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed this. Um, and hopefully people are not going to be daunted by, uh, <laughs> by Malachi now, but, uh, yes. but people should not. definitely go and read. Oh, it. you know, I should, uh, it's okay if I do one last plug. I did actually write a devotional on the book of Malachi oh, and it's, it's, yes, it's available on Amazon as a Kindle book. Cool. Oh, and now it has a Christmas theme, but really you could read it anytime. So I okay. went through the book of Malachi and for preparing for Christmas. So you could read anytime or just download it now and wait till Christmas if you want. <laughs> People are now going to try to figure out, okay, how is Christmas connecting to what I know. we just talked about? It does though. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> how does the book of Malachi, and now, now I'm going to ask you more questions about Malachi. How does the book of Malachi end? And does it, uh, does it end on a, on a happier note? Well, I think it ends in a cliffhanger. Because you have to, he's going to send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. But the very next book of the Bible is Matthew. So, and there's, uh, you know, John the Baptist and Jesus. And so it ends in a cliffhanger. I'll say it that way. That's very cool. (laughs) That's very cool. Okay. Thank you so much, Rachel. This has been a blast. It has been. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You can always go to spiritualityforordinarypeople.com and you can find all of the old episodes and all of the show notes for those episodes. 
Also, you can find the podcast on iTunes, and I would love it if you could leave a review there. That means so much to me, and it helps the podcast become more visible so that others can find these interviews. Thanks again for listening. Take care. Thank you.